Okay, Jet Vance, Darrell Revis. Is off the board. The New York Jets select Makai Beckton, Louisville. Pressure just makes it go a little more. I kind of like pressure a little bit. The New York Jets select. Welcome to another episode of NFL Draft Preview presented by Verizon with the Athletics Dane Brugler. Draft Week is here. And before we get into a seven-round mock draft that Dane put together, I have to know, a lot of people, I think, in your field, the NFL draft analysts think or say that this week is like Christmas in April. I feel like it's more like game day in April. What do you think? Is that a fair comparison, or is it really like Christmas in April? Yeah, no, I I would say more towards Christmas just because it's a lot more exciting than it is. You know, before games, you get a little nervous. You got butterflies. You know, it's at this point, I'm just, I, I'm ready to draft, you know, because it, it, we've been talking about these guys for months and months. Um, I will say the thing that's different about this year is usually, I mean, by this point, all the haze in the barn. Uh, you know, the best way to say it is each, each player is a puzzle and we have all the puzzle pieces and we've put them, you know, together, all those pieces together by this point this year, everything's pushed back a little bit without the combine, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, just getting a lot of this information late, the medicals, especially, we're still getting that info coming in and it's not just us on the outside. Some of the teams as well, they're still catching up to the medical information and trying to do these last minute checks. So. Uh, a little bit, it's a little later this year with how we normally do things with the process, but nonetheless, it's it's draft week. It's exciting. Uh, can't wait for Thursday where we can, uh, you know, finally see what happens uh, in the top 10 and digest the picks and understand how it's going to uh, impact the, the each team in the league. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait. Maybe game day, the comparison there is really for the front offices where for us it's like Christmas, but for the general managers and their staffs, it's like game day. Cause like you said, this is a year in the making and they're re they're ready to roll. And you know, there's obviously some nerve and excitement, but we'll see what happens in just a couple days, Thursday, April 29th, round one. And Dane and I will break down all the jets draft picks after the draft. The jets have 10 picks. We'll see how many players they select on the other side. So, Let's start in the seven-round mock draft, Dane. Number two overall, this pick has not wavered since October. Maybe the team has wavered, but not the pick. Zach Wilson has been the number two overall selection. And why do you think that he's the right pick for the Jets at number two? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, this team needs to upgrade the quarterback position. They were 31st in the league in passing offense. Um, so I, I don't think we, you know, no debate there. It needed an upgrade of the quarterback position. Um, and why Zach Wilson? Uh, you know, obviously, I think that's something that each evaluator is going to feel a little bit differently about. Uh, you know, some really like these other quarterbacks, and I get it. Uh, there's this is a very talent-rich quarterback class. You could make the argument why you would. You know, there's some other quarterbacks that could be the pick here at two. There are other deserving quarterbacks in this class, but I do think that Zach Wilson is the best fit, especially when you consider the offensive system that's coming uh, to the Jets, Michael Floor. Uh, uh, calling plays, uh, you know, taking a little bit uh, of influence from Kyle Shanahan, uh, a little bit from you know, his brother in Green Bay. Uh, there's just a lot of different mix of two offenses that I think will complement Zach Wilson really, really well. Uh, and Zach Wilson, you watch him at BYU, did a little bit of everything from uh, you know traditional uh, eye to uh, you know more spread to option plays. He can do a little bit of everything, and he's at his best 
on the move, throwing with accuracy, um, and he's getting better and better. So Zach Wilson, I think, in, in this offense is going to be a natural fit. And, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be his job uh, to, uh, to, to, to lose going into training camp. And so we'll see what, what, how things play out in, in August and then September. But for right now, I think it's just about the fit. And Zach Wilson, I think, checks a lot of boxes for what this team's going to be looking for. It feels like Zach Wilson's stock throughout the NFL draft analyst world. Some people have him number two quarterback like you. Some people have him, I saw a list recently, number 24 overall prospect. So there's a gap there. Do you think that if this college scouting process were a typical year, the pandemic didn't exist, scouts were able to go out to schools, see Zach Wilson throw live, you think that gap would be lesser? Or you think that just because of his physical makeup and the schedule that he played you think that gap would be not or would be the case in a normal year as well yeah it's tough because this there, there's no doubt about it this past year has been different uh for for everybody and you know with scouts uh, the, the way you look at the game um you look at these players uh each quarterback had their own set of uh you know difficulties and with zach wilson uh, it was the schedule. And you, you look at BYU's schedule before the pandemic hit, and it was nothing but Power 5 teams. And after, it was nothing but Group of 5 teams and lower-level teams. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. That is, It is what it is. But I still think we can evaluate these players based on their throws, based on their reads, based on their instincts, the way they move. And so there's plenty of things about – Zach Wilson's not a perfect player. He's not a, uh, you know, he's not without his blemishes and without, uh, you know, things about his game that you wish, you know, were maybe a little bit better or things that you have a little bit of concerns about. All these quarterbacks have these things. So, you know, Zach Wilson's no different. This isn't uh, about, you know, the Jets aren't taking Wilson because he's a perfect player, but there's a lot of things that translate to the next level that you can see on his tape. And it comes down to the accuracy. It comes down to his movements, his ability off platform when things are off schedule he can create, he has a natural uh, ability in that area. And so it's something that we saw on film. And I think there are several who can't get past the uh, opponents and the competition. And I understand that, you know, in a perfect world, we would have seen Zach Wilson versus, uh, you know, an SEC schedule and, you know, better opponents, but, you know, we can't. And does that mean you don't draft him? No, but it does mean that you have, there's a little bit of uh, faith-based projection there. With, uh, with Wilson, though, I think you're coming back to, uh, you know, things that you prioritize at the, at the quarterback position with, you know, the spontaneous decision-making, decision the natural accuracy, and the movement skills. Those three things right there are a great foundation for a quarterback that you want to develop to be the, the face of your franchise and, and to be the guy that's going to help you uh, compete for the division. You answered my next question in your answer. I was going to say, if you were at, like, a local establishment – and somebody was like, you know, I don't like Zach Wilson because he of the lesser school argument. You made that case. Also, just to point out an in-division example of somebody that didn't play the murderer's row, as you once put it. How about Josh Allen at Wyoming? Yep. Yep. I mean, he, he didn't have. And also, isn't there another side to this where people say, well, he didn't play, you know, against this level of competition. Couldn't you also say, well, what if he played at an SEC school with more talented surrounding cast with receivers, offensive line. I know the BYU offensive line was very good and they put up a lot of points. I just think that there's another side to that coin. That's not really often talked about, but regardless, it seems like Zach Wilson is the guy. 
You're right. I mean, that that BYU offense was good. It's good run game, good offensive line, good receivers. But when it's all said and done, how many players from that offense will be drafted in the first three rounds aside from Zach Wilson? Probably one. Probably Brady Christensen, uh, the left tackle. Besides that, I don't think any of the offensive linemen – um, you know, maybe the center next year, he's a pretty, uh, you know, he's a pretty good player, but I don't know if he's going to get the first three rounds. Uh, you know, Dax Mill, not in the top three rounds of running back, not in the top three rounds. So it was a good college offense. I don't want to take anything away from those guys, but not high level prospects, uh, you know, that have, you know, very promising NFL futures aside from probably the left tackle. So I think that is absolutely fair to point that out. Um, and you know, it's, you look at the toughest opponent that he faced, it was Coastal Carolina, and that game was set 48 hours before it happened. And so, naturally, there were some ups and downs in that game, uh, like I think you would expect when you find out you're playing an opponent two days ahead of time. So, you know, and, and you could look at these things as – it's just something I always come back to with quarterbacks. There's reasons and there's excuses. And it can be tough to distinguish which is which with these quarterbacks – but with, uh, with Zach Wilson, something like that, with having only two days to prepare for Coastal Carolina, that, that's more of a reason than an excuse. And so it was still a pretty good tape for him. So, yeah, Zach Wilson, to me, there's a lot to like about the ability, uh, about the you know what he put on tape, about what he's going to be. Because I do think that he can still get better and better. Uh, wish he were a little bit bigger. Wish that maybe you know, he stayed in the pocket a little bit more. But there, there's a lot to like about he projects to the next level. The Coastal Carolina game, if you're an NFL fan, you want to see what Zach Wilson's about, watch the last drive. They lost the game, but that last drive, you really see the arm talent and the final throw that's reminiscent of the Rams-Titans ending of the Super Bowl in whatever year that was that I can't come up with the year off the top of my head. But 2000? 99, 2000? Right around there? Yeah, I I was going to say 99 because Brady was drafted 2000. So I'm going to say 99. But or two, actually, it might be 2000. It might be 2000. But regardless, that throw was a rope. And it, you really see the arm talent there. But all right, here we go. Right there, that is pick number two. The Jets at pick number 23. You have them going Aziz Adjulari, your top edge rusher out of Georgia. Was this a difficult decision for you? And how close were you to, let's say, choosing a different position on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, for me, the two, and, and really, I mean, the Jets could go in so many different directions here. Um, you know, we could see them go offensive line, uh, on defense. There's a few different positions. This came down to Gregory, uh, Greg Newsom uh, out of Northwestern and Audulary for me, uh, who, you know, the top corner on the board, the top edge rusher on the board. I, I lean towards Audulary uh, in this scenario um, and a player who, I think he's going to help that front seven right away. Uh, he, he can line up on the edge. You can move him around. Be creative with him. 6'2", 250, a young player. Still just 21, 20 years old. He won't be 21 until June. So a lot to like about what he's done. Uh, led the SEC in sacks, tackles for loss, forced fumbles last year. Uh, and, and then what he's going to be and continue to learn. Uh, really long player, 34 and a half inch arms. You love the twitch. You love the explosiveness. You love the instincts. Um, this is not a one-trick pony who's just an athlete out there. Can run really well, uh, can set a hard edge. So with Audrey Larry, I think you have a guy that is going to help. You know, I, you know, you bring Carl Lawson in. You bring Vinny Curry in. That's great. But you bring in a young player to add to that room. And, you know, he's going to help you out 
immediately on sub packages. And then he's going to be worked more and more into the rotation. And then he's going to start games uh, at some point during, during his rookie year. So a lot to like about Audrey Larry and what he can bring to uh, a pass rush that needs a lot of help. And, you know, you add the, the quarterback at, at the first first round pick. What are you going to do in the second with the second uh, first rounder? You're going to go get the quarterback. Uh, you're going to add, add to the most important position on defense. And so Audrey Larry makes a lot of sense there. You know, there is uh, you know, a few teams have voiced concern about his knee. He, he tore his ACL his senior year in high school. Part of the reason why he redshirted his first year at Georgia. Uh, but the way it was explained to me, it, if you have a first round grade on him, it, it might cause you, you know, a little bit of pause, but it don't see it as a big obstacle. So it's something to keep in mind with Audrey Larry on draft night. If you do see him start to fall, the knee could be the reason, but the way it's been explained to me is there's very high chance he still goes somewhere in the first round because it's not that big of a concern that would stop you from drafting him. In your draft guide, The Beast, which everyone should check out, you compare him to a younger version of Yannick Ngakwe. So is that his ceiling to become what Yannick Ngakwe was from his first couple of years in the NFL? Because Yannick Ngakwe was a very good and very productive player for the Jaguars, even though his production wasn't quite the same this past season? I, I think his ceiling's higher than that. I think that a reasonable expectation should be, uh, you know, Yannick Ngakwe when he was a younger player and working his way up. And, you know, I we can see him on a similar trajectory, except I would say that Audrey probably has an even higher ceiling uh, with that, that get-off, that burst, how advanced he is right now for a guy that hasn't played uh, I mean, he, he has double-digit starts each of the last two years, but still a redshirt sophomore and still just a very young player. He's still learning, but for what he knows right now, it's pretty impressive. Uh, his timing is very good. His, his hands are physical. Uh, he knows how to use his length. Um, violence, he, he's a block shedder. So there's a lot to like about who he is now. This is not just an upside pick. It's not just a, a we'll just wait what he could be. What, I mean, while I mean, I think it is fair to be excited about that. You're excited about what he is right now, and so I think that's that's the reason why you're considering him uh, at pick 23 if you're the Jets. All right, and then pick 34, you have the Jets going Landon Dickerson. So in the playmakers versus protection argument, Dane, you're going with the protection up front and Landon Dickerson. Why is he the right choice for the Jets at 34? Yeah, and you know, on a personal level, I, I just can't quit Landon Dickerson. That's what that's what it comes back to. And uh, I think that I know that I'm not the only person uh, that feels that way. There are many, many in the NFL that feel the same way. I, you know, I don't know if it's exactly how the Jets feel, but uh, they they do like him because um, it's hard not to. Uh, it really, it comes down to the medicals. Are you comfortable with uh, everything that's gone on in the past? Uh, his most recent ACL injury. Um, it, it, you know, he might not be cleared until August that, that that's a possibility. So you have to be comfortable with all the medicals, but we're talking about outside the first round and the value for a player like this, who is maybe the best leader in the draft, a premier talent on the field, uh, quickness, power, uh, it just, it, he checks a lot of boxes for what you're looking for on the offensive line. The toughness factor is remarkable. He, he will get banged up but he plays through it. And so there, there is a cause for concern in terms of just his body, just failing him at some point. But as long as your doctors sign off and say, yeah, you know, two thumbs up, go for it. It would be a steal to draft Dickerson in the early portion of the second round. All right. Two part question here. 
Dickerson, one, you play him at center or you play him at guard at the pro level and two, and for the Jets in particular. And two, if you were to go with a playmaker, you don't even have to give a reason. Who would you go with at 34? Well, either way, guard, center, I really don't think it matters. He has the flexibility to play either position and play it at a very high level. So uh, it, it just depends how they want to mix and match that offensive line. I think he gives you that versatility where you need him to start him at guard, you need him to slide into center, he can do that. So to me, that makes a ton of sense. Um, are you talking about weapon on offense then? At, at, yes. at that thir- pick 34? And we'll have to see. It'll be interesting how many uh, – you know, what wide receivers are off the board in the first round, which running backs are off the board in the first round. You know, if only one running back goes off the board, say Najee Harris is a first round pick, is Travis Etienne still there? Javante Williams. Uh, you know, do you feel comfortable drafting a running back at that point at wide receiver after the first three, Jamar Chase and the two Alabama receivers? How many other receivers are, are drafted in the first round? Does uh, Elijah Moore get in there? Rashad Bateman? Uh, and then, you know, what's, uh, what's the, what's the stretch bef- uh, when your next pick in the third round, do you feel comfortable waiting on a receiver or running back at that point? I, I think offensive line is if you don't get your guys early, more often than not, you're going to be caught with, uh, you know, taking, taking plans, uh, you know, not even plan B or C, but plan D, E or F. And that's not ideal on the offensive line where I think it's a little more manageable at running back and wide receiver. So I'm going offensive line at this point. Um, I think it's fair to consider corner as well. Uh, there will be, there should be some really intriguing offensive playmakers there, but I would lean towards off. If we're going pass rusher at 23, I'm leaning offensive line corner at 34. All right. So then the Jets have two third round picks. You have them addressing both sides of the ball. Paulson Adebo at 66 and Spencer Brown at 86. Yeah, and let's, uh, you know, talked about corner and how important that is. And let's, you know, Robert Sala, he had some uh, success with a former Stanford corner, uh, both in Seattle and then at San Francisco uh, with Richard Sherman, Paulson Adebo. Uh, you know, obviously you're not going to compare him directly to Richard Sherman, uh, but a guy that's, you look at the size, 6'1", 200 pounds. You look at the speed, 444 uh, speed in the 40-yard dash. The ball production, outstanding in two seasons because he registered his first year, then he opted out this past year. So we have two seasons of film on Paulson Adebo. He had 38 passes defended in 22 games. That's a remarkable number. Eight interceptions uh, in those games as well. So Paul, long, physical athlete. He's opportunistic. He plays. He was a high school wide receiver, and you see that with the way he plays the ball. He can locate, attack, and he, he just goes and gets it. Um, plays very decisive, and that could work against him at times. That's why I think, you know, we're talking about him as a third-round pick, not a first- or second-round pick, is he will bite on plays, and once he finds himself out of position, he will struggle to get back in phase and and recover. Uh, A little leggy, a little upright, and so those false steps can be a killer for him. But you look at the foot agility, you look at the size, uh, you know, look at the ball production. Uh, Those are the types of traits that you want to gamble on uh, for a player – uh, that I, I think fits what the Jets want to do on defense at corner. I think it fits really well. And then how about Spencer Brown at pick 86? What do you like about him? This is one of my favorite analogies in the beast. You compared him to a massive oak door. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, basically what he is. 6'8", 3'11". Uh, I mean, just a big guy. 
who had a fascinating backstory because he, uh, you know, grew up in small town Iowa, uh, played eight man football. He wasn't even an offensive lineman. He was a tight end and a defensive end. Uh, and he, he was, you know, not playing college football, playing the NFL really wasn't on his radar. Uh, but, you know, he was, he was, you know, all conference and, and basketball, big time in baseball. Uh, you know, just a, a do everything kind of sports uh, athlete at the high school level. He go, you know, no star recruit. He, he wasn't highly recruited. Goes to Northern Iowa, and he, he was 225 pounds. They packed on the weight, packed on the weight. He tra- or he uh, transitions from tight end to tackle, and then we saw him start three straight years at right tackle. Uh, of course, didn't play this past year because FCS, uh, you know, they uh, didn't play in the fall, so he opted out. Just a you look at the ability, and, and he tore up his pro day for a guy that's 311 pounds. Ran a four nine two in the forty, uh, six nine six in the three cone. I mean, I play him. He 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 has the athleticism to do it. Why not? Um, but you know, he he is a developmental right tackle. He needs to learn how to use, uh, just you know, understand how to use his frame, sit in a stance, create a strong anchor. But the athleticism, the length, the, the competitive toughness that he has, he, he is the ideal right tackle developmental type of prospect that you get him in, you know, the mid to later portion of, of round three. And, you know, he sits for a year and he's ready to, you hope he's ready to start for you going into the 2022 season. I still love the massive Oak door reference. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's one of my I favorite. I forgot about that. That's, that's pretty good. I like that. And, and also just in my mind, I'm thinking about a six, seven, 363 pound left tackle and a six, eight, 311 pound right tackle. That's pretty hard to get around those bookend guys. So better luck on the inside if that ended up being the case in 2022, let's say. So the Jets in round four, they're at the top 107. You have them going Michael Carter, who's basically, I'm going to re-say that. Michael Carter is UNC's leading rusher, and Javante Williams is the highly touted prospect. Why do you like Michael Carter for the Jets? Yeah, I think that when you look at what he would bring to the offense, um, you know, he's a problem-solving back. Uh, with his shiftiness, his his short area quickness, he can create. Um, and I think what you love about Michael Carter is he's not uh, role-specific. You know, some of these guys that are a little undersized, you have to put them in a specific role. Not not Michael Carter. You want him to play on third downs, he can do that. You want him to run some routes, he can do that. You want him to stay home and pass protect. He can do that. Now, he, he obviously doesn't have the best anchor. Uh, just, you know, he can be moved, but toughness and technique, it, it's there as a blocker. And so you, you, you're encouraged by the fact that you can leave him on the field in any situation, and, you know, he's not going to hurt you out there. Um, you know, you look, watch him at North Carolina. You see zone. You see gap. Um, you know, I, I think it translates to, you know, how he would be used uh, in, in, the, in the Jets' new offense. He does a great job of understanding – where the holes are coming from, what the blocks are doing. He's patient where he's allowing those blocks to develop. But then he also has that burst and the vision to hit them with timing. So uh, not a guy that's going to run overly heavy. He doesn't have, you know, the, the run power where he's going to break a lot of tackles up the middle. But a, a guy with the vision, the feel, the lateral agility. Uh, I, I comped him to a lesser version of a Dalvin Cook. And so you're getting that in the early fourth round. I love the fit, and I love the value at that point in the draft. And if the Jets are going to approach their running back by committee, why not add another horse to the stable of Michael Carter? Then you'd have Carter, 
Michael P. Ryan, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Josh Adams, the list goes on. So we'll see what happens. If, one, in fact, if the Jets do that approach, or two, if they want more of a lead horse, that's to be determined. The Jets have two fifth-round picks as well. You have them going James Wiggins and Ben Mason, who's one of the most intriguing players in the draft. So what do you like about both of them? James Wiggins, uh, you know, a little bit of a forgotten guy in this process. He missed the 2019 season with an injury. I think he was banged up a little bit this year. But, uh, you know, he is tough, and he has outstanding athleticism. Uh, you, you love what he brings to the table at the safety position. 5'11", 210. Uh, he ran 4-4-1, the 40-yard dash. You see him flying all over the field. Uh, outstanding speed. He can challenge uh, receivers in coverage. He'll run the alley and disrupt, uh, be disruptive in the run game. Uh, really strong, but he's also smart. He plays with intelligence. He plays with uh, uh, you know the reaction skills that you want at the position where you're tr he's trusting his eyes, his vision's in the right place, he's reading his keys. So as long as you feel comfortable with just the durability factor and you know that he's going to stay healthy, smarts, athleticism, toughness, he checks those boxes. That's the type of safety you want to take a chance on. And then Ben Mason, who we've talked about before, you know, maybe that, that Kyle Juszczyk role uh, with what we saw in San Francisco, maybe he can do that. He's the top fullback in this, uh, this year's draft, 6'3", 246 pounds, uh, versatile enough where he was used as a defensive lineman his junior year at Michigan. This is the type of guy you just want to get him on the field. So special teams on offense, he's going to be able to impact this team in different ways. And he's just going to be a type of guy you want to get out there because of the toughness because of the versatility that he offers. I, I think he would be in the fifth round. He would make some sense for the way that this offense ideally would like to run. You compared him to the way Patrick Ricard is used in Baltimore. I think that's great. And I want to say this about Mason. I think when a lot of people watching this or listening to this will say, Ben Mason, Kyle Juszczyk, that's a great match. Can you just pump the brakes for a minute here and describe how special of a player Kyle Juszczyk is and what's a realistic expectation from Ben Mason out of the gate if he were to be selected by the Jets? Yeah, I think it's important to note that we're comparing Ben Mason um, to the role and not necessarily the player of Kyle Juszczyk. You know, because Kyle Juszczyk, he is uh, very unique with how he impacts uh, the, the, the 49ers offense with his, with his talent. Uh, as a receiver, uh, very, very natural. Um, where with Ben Nason, uh, not that he's not a natural receiver, but he wasn't used that way uh, a, a lot by, uh, by, by Michigan. And he had a total of three catches in, in his career. But when he was targeted, he, he did a nice job. And so he just wasn't used in that way, but you think that he could be. So stylistically, there are some comparisons there. The role that maybe you want to run, I, I think he'd be a worthy uh, you know, player to plug in there and see if he can handle those duties. Uh, but Kyle Juszczyk, yeah, they're, they're, he is a Pro Bowl uh, type of fullback, type of tight end in that specific scheme. And it's it, it'd be, uh, you know, a, a pretty high bar to come in and, you know, fill that and, and be that uh, impact the game up to that level of a Kyle Juszczyk. So let's wrap up this mock draft with a pair of six-round picks, Isaiah McDuffie and Dax Milne. Why are they the right two players for the Jets to round out their mock draft? Well, we want to add more depth on line, at linebacker uh, on the depth chart. Uh, you know, we're still kind of working through what that's going to look like. And I think at this point in the draft, in the sixth round, Isaiah McDuffie makes sense for a guy that you want to maybe uh, uh, roll the dice on at, at that point in the draft because it's just speed. Uh, play all, all over the field. 
Uh, you can see him dropping coverage. You can see him blitz. Not the biggest guy, six one and a quarter, 227 pounds. But the play speed and the motor, that's what you're betting on. And the BC coaches, they back that up. They say right attitude, the makeup, uh, the instincts. Uh, that, that, and that's what you want to hear from his, uh, from his former coaches. So uh, the toughness, the speed, the motor, those are the type of guys that you know on special teams are going to make plays. On defense, uh, if you can get them, uh, you know, get them right so they're running in space and they're not asked to necessarily be an inside banger where uh, they're going to have to take on blocks and shed and, you know, just let them be in space. Let them be that run and hit linebacker. I, I think Isaiah McDuffie makes sense. And then Dax Milne, uh, you know, he's a, a very reliable player. And obviously the Zach Wilson connection, uh, you know, can't uh, just gloss over that part of it and how that would be a natural fit add him to this offense and, you know, maybe he's your future slot receiver. Uh, but Dax Millen in his own right is a, is a, is a good player. I mean, quicker than fast, uh, a, a guy that can create on his own. There's some Hunter Renfro to his game with the way he attacks space, finds those open zones, and then he just catches everything. He, he's got those clamp hands where tracks the ball really, really well. And he's got the toughness to finish. And so, yeah, there's a connection there with, uh, with Zach Wilson and what those two did this past year. But I don't want to take anything away from Milne and the, and the type of player that he is because he is a really quality, dependable, re reliable option, uh, it, probably best in the slot at the next level. Dane's seven-round mock draft bookended by a BYU quarterback and a BYU receiver. I love that. So, you know, before we wrap up this final episode before the draft, like I said, we'll break down the picks after the draft next week. Was there any pick in this exercise outside of the number two overall pick that you're like, you know what? I really like this pick for the jets and that could be round one or it could be round six. Uh, well, yeah, Landon Dickerson, I, I do really like that fit just because of you know what they're looking to do on this offensive line and what Landon Dickerson would bring. And I, I understand the medical concerns there, but when you look at a, a guy with that leadership, that character, what he would bring to the locker room from day one, what he would bring to that offensive line room, um, and you know, just add him to you know Mackay Becton and what you're building up there. I I love that fit. You're you're not drafting him first round. You know, it, there's a level of risk there, and if you were to slip out of the first round, scoop him up early uh, round two, and you know, he, he's a guy that I think is going to make your make make your a better football team uh, with what he brings on the field, off the field. Uh, for a, a team that's been really trying to fix this offensive line. I love that fit. All right. So here's a question for you. Let's say, I think a lot of people expect the Jets to trade back at least once. Joe Douglas last mm -hmm. year showed in the second round when he traded back 13 spots, he grabs Denzel Mims, pick number 59. I think a lot of people are expecting the Jets to move out of pick 23 or 34. But if they were to move up from 23, is there a player that you think would be worth the jump? Let's say it was somewhere in the teens. Who is that player for you? Yeah, obviously that it's an expensive move. Um, you know, if you're moving from 23 to 16, 17, whatever it is, um, you know, it's at the very least, it's going to cost one of your thirds, probably that early third. Um, you know, you don't want to give up that 34th pick, but say you have to give up your early third. So it's going to give, it's going to cost you an early third round pick, a top 70 pick in this draft. But if you're going to do it for, let's say, Elijah Vera Tucker um, and what he would be. So that would open you up at 34. You can go running back. You could go corner. A lot of different options open up for you at 34. 
if you go offensive line with that uh, with that other first round pick, Elijah Perry Tucker. A lot of people consider him maybe the highest floor player. But you just you just know what you're getting with him. Uh, you slide him in at guard, at left guard, and he's a guy that's going to start for you for a long time and, and be a quality player. So he would make some sense uh, if they want to do go go that direction. Um, you know, maybe if a JC Horn, um, I don't know that he necessarily fits. He, I, I like him better as a press man guy. I don't know that he necessarily fits what they want to run, um, you know, with, uh, with Robert Sala, but you know, if they really want a cornerback, if they really feel like, you know, we, we want to get one of the top corners and they don't feel great about Greg Newsom falling to 23, maybe that's something they look at trading up two spots, you know, go up to 21, go up to 20, where it's not going to be as expensive. Maybe it only costs a fourth rounder this year and a, you know, something next year where you're moving up a, a few spots just to make sure that you get your corner uh, and you're not going to gamble that he's not going to fall to you at 23. So small move, big move. Uh, there were, there are definitely some appealing options if they want to go. Who's your favorite story in the draft? Oh, well, um, you know, probably- and, and, and that could be, that could be like a background thing too. Like I know, for example, right. you wrote Spencer Brown grew up with the eight man football and yeah. the, the cattle farm. I mean, it could be something like that too. I'm thinking documentary series over here. Right. Right. You know, I, I you know, we've talked about Jacob Harris before, uh, you know, his soccer background, you know, I, that's a, that's a first, you don't see a lot of soccer players, uh, yeah, that are non-specialists, non punters. Uh, making it in the NFL, but he he definitely could be that guy, a freak athlete at 6'5", 220. Uh, he, he's going to be a guy to watch on day three of the draft. He's definitely up there. Spencer Brown, uh, you know, with his, uh, his his background that we talked about. And just really interested with the uh, the bloodlines this year, uh, you know, with, at the top with Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn, uh, Asante Samuel. Uh, you know, there's a lot of bloodlines. Those are just corners. Really interesting the bloodlines uh, that we have this year with uh, guys that are uh, making me feel old with uh, who their dads were in the league and just as they look to continue the success of that last name. So pretty cool development with those guys. That's a great way to wrap up the final pre-draft episode of NFL Draft Preview presented by Verizon with the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Dane, next time or this time next week, we're talking – about who the Jets drafted, which is going to be very exciting. Thursday can't get here quick enough, and then it's on to 2022. Can't wait. Enjoy the draft, Ethan.